Welcome to Neurooptometry in Rehabilitative Care, a podcast from Review of Optometric Business. I'm Roger Mummert, Content Director. In this podcast, our professional editor, Dr. Mark Wright, speaks with Dr. Mark Karhoff, whose practice in St. Louis applies principles of neurooptometry in providing rehabilitative care to some of the most challenging cases that an optometrist faces. Dr. Karhoff describes how he works with patients whose ability to see and process sight has been impacted by trauma, concussion, and dementia. Dr. Karhoff describes his journey in acquiring knowledge and developing skills to help in restoring visual processing and improving the lives of the patients he serves. He also cites available resources for colleagues interested in this exciting and growing aspect of optometry. And now, the Review of Optometric Business podcast, Neurooptometry in Rehabilitative Care. So we're here today with Mark, and we want to talk about neurooptometry. There have been a lot of changes in that in the last few years. Uh, talk to me about some of the changes. Well, in our practice, we're seeing a lot of patients who have had mostly concussion, yes, other forms of traumatic brain injury, or acquired brain injury in the form of stroke, right. um, Alzheimer's, Parkinsonian dementia. And what we're learning is that the visual system is at the, is at the root of a lot of the difficulties that these folks have subsequent to their neurological event. And that rehabilitation of these folks in terms of all the way, the whole spectrum of, of activities of daily living, work, school, driving, that the essence of it has to be driven by the visual system. That if the visual system is disordered, which it, which it is commonly in these injuries, that all other forms of rehabilitation get, lo- get locked down, get locked in. And so there's a big opportunity for optometrists who specialize in this area. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit outside the realm of what optometrists have historically done in terms of, you know, it requires a little bit of a shift mm-hmm. in our understanding and our approach, not so much our understanding, but our approach of the, of the human visual system and how it functions in a complex three-dimensional world and how it guides, our, guides everything. Um, and if we can sort of come to understand the visual system in that new way, there's a lot of opportunities for making really profound differences in people's lives because we see in, in our practice, as an example, we see patients in the prime of their life struck down by an accident. Saw a patient just yesterday before I departed to come to Expo um, who had a young woman, had a brainstem stroke, mm. and her life is profoundly altered in every way, a mother of two right. children. The process of rehabilitation, start, it's, a, it's an interdisciplinary effort. It involves occupational therapy, involves physical therapy, primary care physician, neurology, but the visual system guides it all. So, And optometry used to kind of sit on the outside of that ring, and now we've gotten into that ring. Uh, talk to me about that integration of optometry into that full coordination of care. It's been, it's been easier in some quarters and a little more challenging in others. Uh, my colleague, Dr. Kathy Radakovic, who works principally with the patients who've suffered traumatic brain injury, is actually on staff at 
multiple rehabilitation hospitals mm -hmm. at one of the in for one of the large hospital networks in the St. Louis area. She was welcomed within that community, certainly within the the occupational therapy and physical therapy community, who are experts at the analysis of posture and Absolutely. gait and things like this. And they're they're very receptive to what to the unique specialty that we provide. We've had other challenges in other quarters of the traditional medical community, mm -hmm. but we're beginning to make inroads there. A lot of positive results because it's because everybody has the same goal, right? Everybody has the goal of helping right. their patient, right? And and there's a little bit of a paradigm shift afoot. A lot of it based in the work of an optometrist, Dr. William Padula, who on whose shoulders were, a lot of us are standing with this work. And at the end of the day, when patients get better, physicians notice, physicians of all specialties notice. Right. And we're, we're beginning to get calls from neurology, from neuro-ophthalmology, subspecialties who have historically not seen necessarily the value of mm -hmm. what we thought of as vision therapy, right? Right. Um, and so it's really positive developments all around. You know, success breeds success. When they see the success, the patient's life changed for the better. They want to know why. And so then they, with a little bit of research, reach out and figure it out. Right, right. So it's good. So a lot of opportunity, and there's lots of opportunities. A lot of exciting technologies are emerging um, that give us the ability to, as the, as the cost of technology has come down, mm -hmm. as the availability of software and hardware development platforms have, have expanded. Mm -hmm. the, the kind of innovation we see in the media space and things like that, that young generation, they're, they're in, you know, extending their technological expertise into, the, into these areas, and we're seeing a lot of really exciting technological advances as well that support us in our efforts to rehabilitate these patients, some involving virtual reality, some involving augmented reality, and there's relative strengths and benefits of those technologies in a rehabilitation setting. So it's, I think we're at a real inflection point mm -hmm. in terms of what this technology, almost off-the-shelf hardware technology, mm -hmm. um, can be adapted and used uh, to, to help these patients. Drill down for me a little bit on augmented reality, uh, how that would impact a patient. So what's interesting about augmented reality, to differentiate it from virtual reality, so as, you, as you're aware, virtual reality, you put this headset on, and it's a relatively large, cumbersome device, and it, it restricts the patient's peripheral vision, right? It right. essentially separates them from, the, from their ambient space. And one of the things we're learning in this, in this field is that a patient's visual relationship with the environs that surround them is essential to their rehabilitation. And so virtual reality presents some benefits in that regard, but it also has some limitations. What augmented reality does, it's a related but slightly different technology where you put on a, what looks more like a pair of glasses and the images are projected through these glasses onto your natural environment. So you maintain spatial awareness. Very good. We would maintain spatial awareness of this room, for example. But you could augment it mm -hmm. with various 
measurement tools, as an example, various visual targets, sure. various targets to make a coordinated eye, you know, vision-guided hand motion, hand movement while you're maintaining your center of support, while you're maintaining your balance without loss of your peripheral or ambient visual awareness. So that's, that's one of the most exciting things about augmented reality. One of, the, one of the challenges that we, I think, the industry still faces, that the technology still faces, is that all these technologies give the patient the perception mm-hmm. that some target, let's say, is projected across the room 20 feet away. And so their eyes convert, you know, their virgin system, their eyes turn in or turn out to project to that distance. And yet, in terms of controlling the accommodation or focusing system of the eye, it's still projected on a screen a couple inches in front of their face. Right. So it decouples those two vital components of the visual system. Right. Somebody will come up with something soon, I'm sure. It always gets back to, I've got to make sure I understand where I am in space before I try to interpret what I'm looking at. And when those two systems get inverted, yeah. the world just goes crazy for the, for the person. I can't sort out what it is that's going on here. And all these techniques are trying to help get us back to that normal state for somebody who's been altered. And, and that's, a, that's a huge step, but what an important step for, for that patient to... Uh, to make to have to get anywhere back to anything close to a normal life. Agreed. Yeah, it's and the the you're, I, I agree with you a hundred percent that that it's when you do this work, you really gain a newfound reverence yeah. for the, the the human neurological system. Yeah. Because so often the body just needs to be shown. Yes. It needs to be remember. Yeah, uh, you know, it needs to. You need to stabilize the patient's base of support. This is Dr. Padula's massive contribution, which I don't think can be overstated. Oh, I agree. You need to maintain the patient's base of support, and then you just begin to reacquaint them yeah. with the kind of normal body motions that they had before, and it's pretty striking the results. Always. Uh been intrigued by the the old techniques of, of just practice and the old saying was practice makes perfect and the yes. answer was no practice makes tired <laughs> guided practice can get you back to perfection right that's right and it's you know it's not that it's it's not that it's there's no roadblocks right Always, i mean yeah there's you know a lot of times just depending on the neurological status of the patient, right? You know, th- those those still represent the bookends. But even if you improve someone's quality of life, if you improve their functioning on on some level, it's well worth it. Absolutely, yeah. And, and physiology one hundred and one is is if you, if you don't change the stimulus, why are you expecting a different result? Right. And I think one of the beauties that optometry brings to the table is we can use techniques with lenses and prisms to change the input and therefore expect a different result and guide that different result to where we want them to go. Right. Absolutely. It's, it's really powerful. And, and one of the interesting things for me, there's so many great parts of our profession. When I was trained, it was, you know, the profession was finding its way between the medical model and yes. w- where we had been the generation before. 
And I was so focused for so long on the medical model, model the glaucoma, which is a big part of what we do, obviously. Absolutely. It's been, you know, I had almost forgotten the power that these prescriptive medical devices that we wear in our faces, right. that they have, and to see how the prescription of yoked prism, yes. carefully measured, et cetera, yoked prism in a, in a, in a, in a spectacle-mounted device, um, it's, it's been neat to sort of re- remember how powerful that can be. Absolutely. And, and so. it's one thing to give somebody clear vision, but it's a whole different thing to take somebody whose whole visual system has been distorted in some way and get them back to some semblance of normality. The, the, the hugs, the happiness, the tears of joy. I mean, that, yeah. you, you see that routinely in the, in the therapy room. Absolutely. And we, my, uh, my colleague, Dr. Radakovic, just, it's, you know, these people who have had these events, you know, we see people with perceptions of false motion. Yes. People with hallucinations. Yes. And the, as you grow in sophistication in this work, just the, the, the realization that somebody, what we think of as perhaps organic mental illness, what we would have dismissed maybe. Right. Um, you know, it's all in your or, head. Or medicated. Or, or medicated it. Yeah. Right? And the, the difference, the, 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 one of the most important things we do for these patients when they first come in is to try and provide them an environment that's respectful of what their sensory system is doing to them. Yes. Whether it be noise-canceling headphones. Exactly. Staff is told to wear, you know, this tie wouldn't be appropriate in the clinic. Too, too much detail. <laughs> too much detail. That's right. Right? Um, and, and what that does to the visual system, or what that, what that does to the entire organism yes. through the visual input is pretty staggering. Yeah. Yeah, and anybody that sat at a stoplight and the car beside them moved, and all of a sudden they have this sense of yeah. movement, understands on a small a small scale what some of these patients go through. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. We we talk part of what we do is we work with athletes. Mm-hmm. In some, I work with Dr. Don Teague with a lot of uh, on on the sports vision side. Yes, and it's it's a little bit. It's a different, it's similar technology, differently applied. Yes. One of the things I say to people all the time, it's easy to be impressed by watching an elite level athlete do what, what they do. But what I remind people of all the time is you just walk out of this building and you'll see hundreds of thousands of people, you know, ambulating in a remarkably complex space with non-trivial dangers all around them yes. in the form of cars, cars and right. curbs and the whole bit. Right. And their, their eyes will be looking down at a phone. They'll be cognitively engaged with the phone. Yes. And yet, they, I say to people all the time, when's the last time you were walking down the street of New York playing with your phone and you tripped? They say, well, never. I've never tripped. Yeah. That's your visual system at work. Exactly. It doesn't need to be an elite-level athlete doing something extraordinary. I mean, the human visual system all on its own is extraordinary. It's amazing. Yeah. Some of the patients we work with are ambulatory. Others are not. And a lot, of the, a lot of the analysis comes from an analysis of the posture, even when someone is sitting down. Sure. 
And a lot of times what's done is we, we try and facilitate, it's about, again, it's about getting the patient back over their base of support. We try and facilitate the patient back over their base of support because the visual system, as you know, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a midline-based system, yes. right? And if your midline is off whole body, skeletally, musculoskeletally, it's going to be off visually as well. Right. And so a person's whole sense of space is distorted in that sense. So we tell a lot by the way people are sitting in their wheelchair, whether they're, sl- they're leaning to the side perhaps or whether they're slumped forward. Colleagues tell stories that seem like magic almost in terms of how patients can interact with the person sitting yes. next to them, um, how, how much the human cognition gets locked down when, when what you were describing before is kind of the two modes of our visual system, when they get bound up and right. they can't communicate with each other. It affects all aspects. I mean, that's why we call it neurocognitive training. Absolutely. is it, It's a neurologically based system, but it touches all aspects of what it means to be human, including cognition. Yes. Including human interaction, yes. eye contact. Absolutely. Things like that. So there's a lot that can be told just by observing a patient's posture and how they move. Absolutely. And, and the visual system is the driver for that. Of all of it. Yes. Right? Very good. So... That's a li- so autism is a little bit outside my realm of experience, but as a general statement, yes, same idea that we see a lot of postural asymmetries in autistic people. We see a method of ambulation. We see the emergence of what we think of as normal reflexes in a developing person pathological reflexes in a person who is of an age to have attained a level of development to be out of those uh, primitive reflexes. Sure. So primitive reflexes, which are normal in the human infant, become, as you know, abnormal or what we call pathological reflexes in an older person. And people who work in this area describe similar results, similar kind of improved, still bounded by the limits of the neurological status of the patient. Correct. Right? Yes. But improved functioning, improved activities of daily living in autistic patients, in patients with cerebral palsy. Yes. I had a colleague telling me recently um, that patients born with cerebral palsy, who we sometimes see in a, in a what you might call a, a spastic posture, or, or they... They're not born in that posture. No, a cerebral palsy infant might have tone, you know, low tone or something like that. But they're not born with the deformities, if you will, that come Correct. from. Yes, and that when we when we work with those patients, a lot of that can become normalized as well. Yeah, on a simplistic level, when would you ever throw your body weight forward if you were going up a hill? Right. Right. Radical thought that we would have lenses that would make it look like you're going down the hill and watch them sit up. Incredible. Yeah. Right? It is. I mean, so, so powerful. And, it's, and it, it's, it's amazing how rapidly it happens. Yes. It's like we were talking about before. You, you just show the body what it's, you, you just show it. Yes. And it responds so quickly sometimes. Well, the visual system is such a quick system at the brain level. And the neurological differences 
uh, in terms of speed of information being transferred, most of the time is pretty close, but there are some sometimes when it's off a bit, but on purpose, the way we're supposed to be. Yeah, right. But then the trauma can make it even worse or even in the opposite direction, and having to address that and, and bring that all together to get the system back as, as, as close to normal as we can get it to give the person the most function that we can give them. Yeah, it's that's, interesting. That's an awesome life, isn't it? Yeah, it is. So, so how did you come about all your understanding and education in neurooptometry? Um, where did that come from? Where are the sources? So I had an opportunity some time ago to bring on board a colleague who I've mentioned a couple times, Kathy Radikovic, who worked in this area, continues to work in this area exclusively. She introduced me to it, and she introduced me to the work of Dr. Padula. And I got my training through Dr. Padula's system of training. He has some on some online seminars you can take. Yes, there's 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 books there's books out. So so self-taught, guided by you know somebody who it, it's. I mean, the paradigm shift for me professionally. I, I don't look at routine myopes the same way. Yes, ex- yes, right. That's a big difference, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's it's incredible. You see a young myope, and they're getting more and more myopic, and you you observe them in a particular posture. You observe them, and and you say, you know what? This is not simple myopia. There's some other process going on. It's it's a real paradigm shift. So even if a person, I think, is not interested in confronting the real challenges that come along with working with patients on both a professional level and on a personal level of dealing with 34-year-old stroke victims. Absolutely. And what that means for their two-year-old children. It it will change the way you look at your your routine patients because it gives you a fundamentally different sense of how the human visual system functions and I think a fuller and a truer sense of how it functions. Answers a lot of questions that left me scratching my head before. So a lot of self-study. I think the optometry schools are beginning. Yes. I've I've, be, I've seen a couple of posters recently. Right. Of students who are doing work in this area. Good. And it's good to see. The Nora conference. Yes. Is I took the Nora clinical skills class. Good. The International Sports Vision Association. Yes. Um, I was lucky to meet Gary Estero, who introduced me to. Yes. The work of colleagues, Dr. Dave Bieberdorf. Mm-hmm. Um, so, as a clinician, I'm 100% standing on the work of the people who taught me. Just sort of quietly, over the years, and I've never met Bill Padula before. I hope someday I have the opportunity. Um, but these other colleagues as well, and I think the optometry schools—it's impossible to ignore this. Yes, I agree. So, and what you're saying then is it, it's a lifelong learning. It's it's a continual process, and in and, and the more we learn, the more we realize we don't know, and so that makes us search for even more answers, and and that's a good thing. That's Agreed. A very good thing. And it gives you a little bit of humility before yes. it, it reminds you to be humble before yes. the, the human beings who come to you for help. Yes, absolutely. Right? Yeah, so that's, that's very good.